What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Central Virginia Sport Performance Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jay DeMeo. Today, I am fired up to get to talk with Dr. Kessa Kuyper, uh, and we're going to sit here and talk a little bit about continuing education in a bit of a non-traditional route that is going to help a lot of people have a better understanding of, of some of these different aspects that we can look at when it comes to learning and growing as a coach. Doc, elated to welcome you to the podcast. Thanks for spending the time with us today. Oh, geez. Thanks. Thanks, Jay. It's, it's a blast to be on. I feel like I'm back in the queue, just talking shop. And Andy and Beach are going to walk in at some point. But Doc, I mean, I ain't Doc Yeses. Just call me Kay. All right. Well, Kay <laughs> did a lot of work to add those two letters before your name. So Let's uh, give everybody like the quick elevator pitch. You know, who is Kay? How did you get to Memphis? And what have you got cooking out there? Yeah, so um, yes, Kessa Kuyper um, did go to physical therapy school at the University of Iowa. Um, I Before that, I went to Northwestern College and got my undergraduate degree in exercise science with kind of a specialization in strength and conditioning. And then from there, I from Iowa, I went to Richmond with you and um, worked with CVASP for about six months, more or less. And then you were the one who helped me get to Memphis. Um, they hired me in end of May, started in June. And I've been with the women's basketball team, the rifle team, and the men's golf team here. Well, I don't know how much I would say I helped. I think that your background and and your efforts and how well you work with the people that you get to work with is what really got you to Memphis. Um, but you do have a unique skill set and one that was really helpful here throughout the season. Um, you know, going with a bunch of really, really old dudes uh, for that 21 22 season that it ended yeah. out pretty good for us. Yeah, that was um, all right. So let's talk about. What did PT school do for you as a strength coach? Yeah, so um, I guess to start answering that question, I have to go back to undergrad. Um, so my undergraduate program was, I believe, one of the top in the country. We had an incredible exercise science program. Our uh, exercise physiology, biomechanics, motor learning was just second to none. And then on top of that, I got to layer in true strength and conditioning courses. So we're learning about periodization. We're learning about um, coaching, cueing, and um, different sorts of conditioning and speed, agility work. And I had some amazing professors who are some of the most well-connected people in the industry. I mean, Corey Van Wyk, you met him this past weekend. Um, so I just got to learn from some of the best. And what that means, like when I was going, thinking about grad school was I was asking the people who had previously graduated the program, what should I do next? Should I go get a master's in something performance related? Should I maybe look into nutrition? Should I look into more like business side, psychology side? They said, whatever you do, do not waste your time getting a master's in anything exercise science related because you have already gotten that information. It's all review. When, if you go to a master's program from what we learned in our undergrad, you're not gonna learn anything else. So go do something different. So I was set up well with the courses I took in undergrad to go to PT school. 
And so at that point, I was like, well, it might be somewhat helpful to know the injury process. Um, and so because I had never had a team where at least where no one was injured all year, right? Someone had a bum ankle, someone, you know, had a muscle strain, like just always there was somebody who had to modify in the weight room. So I figured that was the best way to go. So, you know, I went to PT school for two and a half years. I went to another top program in the United States, University of Iowa. And um, yeah, I mean, I use, while I'm at Memphis, I don't practice as a physical therapist. I'm not using my physical therapy license. I'm staying within the scope as a strength coach. However, every single day, I'm using the skills that I learned in PT school, um, be that modifying an injury. That's like the given. Okay, so if I have someone with a bum knee or bum shoulder or whatever, how do I make it so that they can still move forward while dealing with this injury? How can I help them continue to play while they're having that injury? Um, I mean, we dealt with it at Richmond. We had a player who was dealing with some um, uh, patellar tendinopathy and we were able to in introduce some isometrics and some other um, basically pain relieving strategies so that he could go jump and run with the powerful, you know, the, the power that he best expresses that makes him such a great basketball player. Um, so that's like the biggest thing um, I use as I use every day um, from PT school. And from there, I mean, we can dive deeper, but did I, I feel like I gotta go back. Did I answer the question? Well, no, totally. I, yes, a hundred percent. And yeah. I think that, you know, when we're running down this road, devil's advocate, I can hear a lot of coaches right now saying, well, yeah, but that's just what we do, right? Like as right. a strength coach, you just do that. Like you're supposed to modify for injuries. So why mm -hmm. should I spend another year in physical therapy school? Um, as opposed to just getting a master's in something in a variable uh, of sport performance or exercise science or whatever it may be. Yeah. So, I mean, here's my thing. If you went to an undergrad program that didn't necessarily prepare you as well for, you know, performance coaching as mine did, I think it might be to your advantage to go to get a degree, like a further degree in exercise physiology, biomechanics related field. Um, I also think that nutrition is another great route. I think that psychology and organizational psych, um, is another great route. It's just tools that you add to your toolbox and physical therapy. What I love about it and why I'm so thankful that I went to PT school was that it adds a layer of, I should say patient psychology. You get this layer of coaching that's slightly different than what you would see in like, a strength and conditioning program, because you're mostly dealing with people who maybe don't want to exercise, or maybe you're dealing with people who've never exercised before. So you have to teach things in a completely different way um, than when you have people who are always used to being around movement, sports, and really are receptive to coaching. Um, so it's, you get a different angle at like the psychology and the communication side of things. And it's not PT school as much as the orthopedic courses and musculoskeletal courses um, and biomechanical courses help a lot as a strength coach. PT school is so much more. I mean, you learn how um, children develop and how these 
um, pediatric conditions can impact the way they learn and the their um, the difficulties they might have moving completely change their ability to take in information and socialize and how important that movement aspect is to developing as a person um, and how as a PT you can influence that and make um, you know just becoming growing up into an adult better for kids who have challenges moving. Um, you learn about people who have spinal cord injuries or brain traumas and how much movement doesn't happen unless your brain and spinal cord are working appropriately. Um, and in those classes, we learn, we dig really deep into exercise physiology because if you can't move, how do you exercise? Because exercise is so important to health as a human. It improves brain health, it improves bone density. I mean, if you have a, spi um, like a spinal cord injury at almost any level, you're in the increased risk of metabolic disease is insane. It just shoots up because that essentially pool that, or sink, you know, that sugar could go to is now stuck in your bloodstream because it's not going to the muscle because that muscle isn't working. So what is exercise when you can't move? So it's all these deep dives from different angles that made me think about training differently. It made me think less about, you know, oh, we squat because we have to squat because we're strength and conditioning coaches and we back squat. Um, it's less about the tools and more about the adaptations we're trying to achieve. And so to me, the biggest value in it is that I got a different perspective than every other strength coach. Uh, because, I mean, there's this book, Steal Like an Artist. And because the people who have been most innovative in their fields have stolen from other areas. Uh, Brett Bartholomew, Ali Kirshner are amazing at communication and it makes them such great coaches and it makes, they're able to make other coaches better because they took this other angle and brought it in. Um, Doc, yes, this is a great example because he went out of what was the norm in his field and he went out and asked, you know, like other countries and went to see their perspectives and then brought it in and brought in the best and then we get to use it. So having that diverse experience was so valuable. And once again, I can't say it enough. I use those um, thought patterns and those techniques every day. Yeah, and I think that those unique thought patterns and processes at times um, with people, we, we think we think we have too good of an understanding of it because um, we've been put in situations where that line has been made somewhat translucent and that's probably the incorrect thought process to have with it, right? You know, because right. whether people are for it or against it or understand it or don't, but that whole idea of like, um, you can't work in a silo yeah. may have gone a little bit too far. And I think that too many times coaches want to jump in, whether it be in a rehab process or even like in the case that you were talking about, um, where it was more of like assisting with pain management. Yeah. Whether it was truly a physiological response or the fact that the individual had someone who is a DPT giving them ideas and working with them directly. Um, 
that's another talk for another day because I think that <laughs> yeah. we could I think that we could all say you know that it could be one way or the other but every time it works it does so who cares yeah really in the grand scheme of things if it was because he thought it was working or it was working well by definition a placebo works so you know um but yeah i mean just yeah to speak to a, what you're saying a little bit um as I said, even as I have my doctorate of physical therapy and I am licensed, I don't really work within that license because um, sometimes it helps. Well, right now I don't work within that license. I stay within the scope of a strength coach. And I think that's sometimes when you're working in a high performance team, um, having those somewhat of silos or maybe fences of what role is what is incredibly helpful to the athletes too. Um, because I think sometimes it gets confusing when you have a strength coach who might be, you know, giving an athlete different information than their dietitian or their sports psychologist or their, uh, athletic trainer. Um, so to use my license and to use my skill set while still being part of a high performance team where we have experts in each field there. I don't have to be that expert, but I, it does help me communicate with them more, or I should say at a deeper level. I mean, my athletic trainer is not saying, Hey, it's, you just can't do anything with their right leg. Cause they have a right ankle injury. It's, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. The injury is here's what I'm doing in here. Um, what do you think you want to try to do in the weight room, um, or conditioning wise. And then we talk about what she is telling the athlete and what I'm telling the athlete, because the worst thing we can do for that athlete is to give them conflicting information at that point. Because as you said, who knows if the dry needling is necessarily making physiological changes at the tissue level, or if it's just a placebo, or if it is making neurological changes, but whatever she's telling the athlete, they're buying into and for me to just give a completely different set of information makes that treatment, no matter what she is telling them, if it's the right thing, if it's maybe a different perspective of what I think, it makes it less effective. So I do think that when we have, when we are starting to see this blend of specialties and skill sets between different fields within high performance models, we do still have to respect those fences or those silos a little bit and we have to support what each other is saying um so that the athlete can get the best result does that make sense no 100 percent. because i think that if you even further right like right. you have the credentials to actually come in and be like well uh actually that might not be the best rehab protocol yeah um like, but most strength coaches don't. And all too often, there's complaints about whether it be how slow they come back or the means selected for their return or whatever it may be. And even more so than just confusing the athlete, going outside your scope of practice and saying that to the kid, that's a great way to get fired. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 
and technically, like, if you want to say, well, athletic trainers may not be uh, licensed to do some rehabs or whatever, well, they are being directed by a doctor. Mm-hmm. So they do have the coverage needed. But if you're saying that they're not licensed to do those things, then where the hell do we fit? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think the biggest, I like, I understand the complaint from strength coaches who are frustrated with maybe a physician, a PT or a athletic trainer that seems to be bringing an athlete back slower than a strength coach would like. But I do feel like we need to respect their perspective in that they, we see the best of human performance every day. We see how resilient kids are. We see them have, you know, basically survive just incredible forces that are put onto their joints and in vulnerable situations and they survive it. And we're like, oh, well they can, we just see that, that amazing athlete side of them. But our trainers, physicians, and PTs are seeing people at their most vulnerable, at their, um, yeah, they're seeing the other end of that spectrum. So it makes sense to me that they would be coming back a little bit slower. And while I do think it's important to avoid detraining, and I understand, I totally understand that fear that an athlete will become so detrained that they will once again be more susceptible to injury when they come back because they don't have that conditioning. They haven't been exposed to those speeds recently. They haven't experienced those loads. That's once again, a fair thing, but I, I just want to play a little bit of devil's advocate that the athletic trainer and the PTs and the doctor's biggest fear is that that athlete comes right back because they weren't ready because those athletic trainers, doctors, and PTs have seen themselves. They have sent someone back too early and that athlete has come back to them re-injured. And so while it is 100% all the time inappropriate to tell an athlete that their athletic trainer, their doctor, PT, whatever dietitian is doing something wrong, or you don't agree with it. You, you just need to be able to have those conversations with the, whoever you're working with so that you understand where their process is coming from. And you need to be able to communicate your perspective and saying, Hey, and your concerns. Um, Hey, I'm concerned that because we're bringing a sprinter back so slowly, they're going to be prone to a hamstring tear or a similar injury because they haven't exposed been exposed to those speeds in months or weeks or what have you. So just communicating each other's concerns and coming up with the best solution because always as someone who is between two fields someone who's between rehab and performance I find that every time the best solution is somewhere between the two perspectives it's not one perspective it's not the other it's somewhere in between so like stay in your scope but don't be afraid to go out and have those conversations don't just sit in your office like oh well my PT or my trainer won't let me work with this athlete and like go talk to them make that Make that connection, describe your concerns, think about a solution that's between your both both of your ideas. So you're trying to tell me that compromise between the two is probably going to be the best way to find an answer. Yeah, isn't it isn't it crazy? I just, you know, I know it's gonna be hard to believe, but yeah. Well, I mean, I not sure if I'm gonna buy it. Not not sure. <laughs> 
Not sure. But I think, though, that what's even better, selfishly, is if you have um, if you have kind of all three points of view together. And I think that that's one of the aspects that made uh, that season so successful um, in the long run is because whether we truly thought the changes that were made to a few of the guys where we were building out routines, uh, again, we're, we're um, providing some form of physiological adaptation or remodeling or whatever it might just be more important that they have someone that is working with them that mm -hmm. is like listening to them and saying all right well how about we try this and see what happens you know because again yeah. like with with this group two of these guys we're talking about right now one i was already with for four years Mm -hmm. One I'd already been with for three years. So it's really easy for A, me to be in a rut because I'm old and curmudgeon and that's what old people do. And two, like for them to be like, oh, well, Jay's going to say do this. You know, yeah. like JD's going to look at this and be like, oh, well, you said this was working, so let's just do that. So having someone give them something slightly different, like being a different person, giving them something slightly different may be more valuable than if it was Andy or I doing it because we're the same voice. Yeah. Yeah, I think you make a good point there. Um because we do tend to get stuck in patterns. And when that pattern isn't necessarily working um, for that athlete, then it is really important that you go out and find a different pattern to try out. That is another thing that I definitely learned from being in PT school was one of the, we, we had like an ethics course and, you know, they pose different situations and, you know, we'd end up posing different situations to each other. And one of them is, you know, if you have a patient who's not responding to your communication style, to your treatments, to the exercises you're giving, is it, is it your obligation to make sure that they find someone who can treat them? I mean, it is it, it, essentially like that's a rhetorical question. It is. It is 100% your responsibility as a PT to either refer to another PT or to um, a different sort of, um, you know, care provider, be it a, you know, psychologist, be it a pain medicine doctor, be it a chiropractor, be it um, maybe an occupational therapist, and so on. Um, it is 100% when you, I mean, as you said, it's so important to get other people's perspectives. And I think that was my favorite part of being at Richmond. And that was my favorite part of being at the University of Iowa. And that was my favorite part of being at Northwestern College was I was always around people who thought differently than me. And that just gave me so many more tools and so many more options and so many more 
strategies to use with my athletes when what I would do um, isn't working. So, you know, if I have an athlete who is having joint pain, um, just in general, because, you know, she was, she was a six-year senior, you know, it just like basketball hurts after a while. And what I'm doing wasn't working, but because what I was doing was kind of the stuff that a younger athlete would respond really well to. And so it was, okay, I'm going to put, I'm going to grow a gray beard and put my Jada Mayo hat on and, okay, we're going to do some more lighter weights. We're going to go through a full range of motion. Um, you know, it's, it's just going to look different than what I would, my typical pattern of in-season programming. And it worked for her and she felt great and was able to play better. Um, there's been times where, you know, Corey Van Wyk, my programming looks a lot like his or Bo Sandoval, my programming looks like a lot like his. It's just these other mentors I've had, I can, you know, copy and paste things that maybe I wouldn't normally do, but that athlete needs it. Um, and also, in addition to just being able to, you know, utilize the strategies and ideas of others, just being able to talk through things. I mean, us sitting in the office and just talking for hours about strategies, about what we think the next progression or regression should be. I mean, that was some of my favorite times. And I think it resulted in some of the best outcomes for our athletes. Um, yeah, I think that the more often you try to square peg a round hole, you're going to get in trouble. Um, you know, it's, if we, um, I think that what we do pretty well here is, um, we teach not just like, oh, you have to do this exercise properly. You have to do that exercise properly. We teach um, like the principles mm -hmm. of what's important. Um, so I think that that ends out helping us more because teaching them a bunch of different exercises, while that's important, right and them doing things properly is important understanding the whole deal of it meaning um not just how to do it but why to do it and how to progress it and mm -hmm. the and why progressing it is important yeah um then now all of a sudden we now have um I mean, you know, you're cooking with grease, right? Like you're able to back away when they're at their highest stress in season and really build out what they need to do in a sense by themselves. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's pretty, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, I remember a conversation in, you and Jacob had, right? Where it was, I think we're about, I think we're in February in the season. And he just, he came up to you and he was like, hey, this isn't working. Like, I don't feel the way I need to feel on the court. And it was, okay, here's what we're trying to do. Here's the principle of this movement. Here's why we're doing, say, um, some short coupling jumps. Like, we're just doing a, 
whatever helps you feel more explosive, right? Is that, that's what we were trying to do at that moment. And so you were so willing to work with him and okay, that makes sense. Here's what the goal is. Here's why I use this exercise, but here's some other options. What do you think? And um, that was really cool for me to see. And that's something you'll see all the time in physical therapy. Um, it's going back to the goals, um, utilizing the feedback. Like your athlete is not, your athlete is not always wrong. Uh, I do feel like a lot of strength coaches think they're at like their athlete complains about feeling sore, tired, whatever. Oh, well, they're just complaining. Well, I think the athletes of this generation are really smart. And I think not that those previously weren't, but I think what they're striving for is reasons. And if you can give them reasons why you're doing something and options to maybe alternative options to also achieve those goals and help them and allow them to be part of the decision-making process, you get buy-in so much faster. And I think you end up with a better result ultimately. And you, once again, to make this point, you see that in physical therapy. I mean, if I had a patient come in and say, hey, that treatment that we did or read that exercise that we did, that made me feel terrible. I couldn't move for three days. And in some instances, I, you know, you want to be like, well, yeah, I mean, you have to get stronger. Like if you want to continue to be able to walk up the stairs, like we have to do some version of this exercise. But you also have to respect that like, no one is going into physical therapy to be great at physical therapy. They're going into PT to be better at their life. Similar, no athlete is coming into the weight room unless I guess they're in powerlifting or strength sport or CrossFit. No one's going in there to be better at that. Like everyone's trying to go be better at basketball or better at shooting a target or better at, you know, swinging clubs so the ball goes further. So um, I think you have to always go back to that goal. And yeah, being able to reason through why you're doing what you're doing and do that with the athlete and talk about progressions, regressions, and so on is, yeah, that's just a game changer, especially for the athletes that we have now. And now bringing it kind of full circle here, when you've had the ability to learn under a bunch of different people and alongside some really high level coaches like you did when you were in, you know, um, in Brett's cohort, the next big thing is sharing, right? Being yeah. able to pass things on and making sure other people know. And I think that you and the staff at Memphis do a really good job with what I'm assuming is an attempt to educate the athletes, but really doing things that helps um, other people have a good understanding of what y'all are doing out there. So before we get out of here, okay, like let's make sure that we get, you know, your socials and, and the, the Memphis staffs out there because you guys are putting out a lot of really good stuff. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, that is something that we prioritize at Memphis. Um, our social media has been our, right now, our primary way of getting out information just because our athletes are there, um, coaches are there, and um, ends up like people are more receptive to bite-sized information right now. And so ultimately we're hoping to do, you know, conferences, clinics, um, and more educational um, meetings in the, in the future. But right now um, for me, I'm on Instagram, um, uh, Kessa Kuiper, pretty straightforward, K-E-S-S-A-K-U-Y-P-E-R. Um, I'm not on Twitter because Twitter makes me mad. So um, yeah, you'll basically find me on Instagram. Otherwise, you can reach out to me at my email, which you can find on the Memphis Athletics 
website. Um, the Memphis Athletics uh, Performance Instagram is, uh, yeah, just that Memphis, Memphis Athletics Performance. Just look that up, you'll find it. Um, we have a ton of great information. Me, Nick, John, we're constantly putting stuff out there and trying, yeah, just trying to provide information and show what we do and open to critiques, open to conversation and yeah, check us out. Awesome. Okay, thanks so much for spending the time with us today. This is fantastic. Glad to see you're doing awesome. Glad to hear things are great out there and really excited to see everything that you guys are building. Yeah, thanks, Jay. Thank you. It's been awesome to talk shop with you again. I've missed it. Yeah, well, appreciate your time. Appreciate you being on. This is great. Thank you so much. Thank you. And as always, thank you for everything you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We'll be back next week with another awesome guest. We'll see you then.